with all my heart. Uh, boy, God can do more in a minute than we can do in a lifetime. And uh, prayer is how we work for that minute. So that's, the, so that's, that's coming. So I hope to see you tonight. Hope to see you on May 2nd as well. Um, this morning, we're going to get to Romans chapter 7. So turn in your Bibles there. I'll be there in a second. One more thing, this Friday night is Good Friday, and we have our annual Good Friday service, and it's one of my favorites. If you've never come, I want to encourage you to come and make this the first time. I think you'll come, and then you'll, you'll, you'll recognize the benefit of it, and you'll, and you'll start coming every year. But the, the, I like to say it this way, you really can't fully appreciate Easter until you go to the cross. And Good Friday is... Yes, it's, it's meant to be a little sad in, a, in that sense. We're looking at the, res, at the crucifixion of Jesus, but that sets you up for Easter Sunday, which is next Sunday, and that's awesome. We all love that. So Friday night, what we're going to do is we have seven different people each giving a little vignette, little devotional thought on where Jesus bled. Jesus bled in seven different places. And uh, I really believe in fulfillment to Leviticus, where um, the priest was told to sprinkle the blood of the bull seven different times on the altar to atone for people's sin. Jesus bled from seven different places. So each person is going to be given a little talk. And that's just really our, it's a very, uh, it's a very quiet service. We don't have the lights up real loud, but it's really sort of a very subtle service, but super important. And that's this Friday. And then be praying about who you're going to invite this week to next Sunday. And I would encourage you to, I mean, we have two services, 8.30 and 10.30, and we have a little more space in the 8.30 service. So if you want to come in some elbow room, bring your friends, come to the first service, and uh, let's actually fill both services next Sunday. How about that? So that's, that's next Sunday morning. Now, Romans chapter 7. So... I don't mean to be overly simple, but I am. Here's, here, here's a simple statement. You can't see what you can't see. I know that's simple, but there's a lot of truth in it. You can't see what you can't see. Well, let me ask, is it possible that you're a jerk and you're the only one that doesn't see it? Is it possible that you are an angry person and you're the only one that doesn't notice, but everybody else around you is walking on eggshells, hoping you don't explode? Is it possible, this is to the men, guys, is it possible that women find you creepy and you don't know it? You think, oh, I'm just a friendly guy. But all the girls whisper behind your back and they're nervous in your presence. But you don't see it. That's my point. We don't see what we don't see. Is it possible that these things are going on that you don't even know about? And the answer is absolutely yes. And that's the value of a Christian community, actually, like ours. It's the value of an authentic community, not, a, not just any old Christian community, but one like this one where we can be honest and real with each other and and we're not hiding nothing, and I love you even with your bruises and your scars, and you love me with my imperfections, and that's just how we go. We work together. You're the mirror for me to see my things, and I'm the mirror for you to see your things, and, and we can actually help each other. You know, We can actually say, hey, you know, that was kind of creepy. And, and, and we say, oh, I didn't even know that. So I can now begin to address these things that I didn't even know were there. Because the sin that causes me the biggest problem is not the big sin, it's the one I don't know about. Because I don't have to know about it in order for it to destroy me. I can, I can have cancer in my body for, uh, for months, even years, before I recognize that it's there, and sometimes it's too late when you see it. Sin works the same way. Sits there, I don't even know it, I'm honky-dory. And meanwhile, I'm dying on the inside. I don't know about you. I don't want that. I want, I want to be a man of God. I want to be 
I want to be, I want to, I want to know the Father like Jesus knows the Father. I want to, I want to know the thrill of sharing life every day, every moment of every day with Jesus. I don't want to grieve the Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit at home, welcome, free, hanging out with Doug Rouse. Because if you think I'm creepy, the Spirit thinks I'm creepy. Or whatever. So we're not just talking about the obvious sins that we all can talk about, but we're also talking about these ones that I don't see. And the truth is, it's an, it's an issue that we all are dealing with. And we've been looking at the book of Romans. We've been studying this book for a little while now. And it's been really good. Let me just give a quick review, super quick. Romans 1, 2, and 3 make this point that all of us have this sin problem. And it's not just me and it's not just you, but it's all of us. And so we all have these things. That's Romans 1, 2, and 3. Romans chapter 4 says, here's the solution. The solution to those things is not good works. The solution is not you just go, go to a seminar and get a self-help book. and f That's not the solution. The solution to these things is you have to humble yourself before Jesus Christ and trust him to take care of that for you. That's Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 5 says, if you do Romans chapter 4... Then this other thing happens. Jesus justifies you. And we've talked about that, and some of you have been here, you remember those messages. Justification. Justification, it means that Jesus has, he makes it all right. He takes all this mess, and he somehow makes it right. And the effect of that is I get a redo. I get, a start, I get to start fresh. I get to start over again. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. I'm not stuck. I actually have the freedom to move forward. That's justification. That's Romans chapter 5. So if I, if, if, I, if I place my trust in Jesus, I'm like, Jesus, you've got to fix this. He says he will. And Romans 5 says he's going to make me right and give me a fresh start. And I'm cruising forward. Romans chapter 6 says, okay. We've got we've to give you some practical help here in overcoming and dealing with this sin problem. So Jesus has wiped it clean. However, you and I know that while sin is no longer an issue for me, it still is an issue. Can I get an amen? amen. Right, it's an issue for all of us. So Romans chapter 6 gives us these two word pictures that are pretty, pretty potent. The first one is your old life, the old you, is dead. And every time you go back to sin, every time you chew, every choice you make to go back to sin, you, in essence, are going back to the graveyard, digging up the grave, pulling out the corpse, putting some lipstick on it, pretending it doesn't smell, and playing with it. And we said that it's gross because it's supposed to be. We have to change our perspective on sin. Sin is not just that fun thing I'm not allowed to do anymore. I propose to you that if that's the approach that you take to sin, it will always be a problem for you. Let me say that again. Sin cannot be that fun thing you're not allowed to do anymore. If that's the way you see sin, it will always be a problem for you. You have to change the way you see it. And that's what these word pictures in Romans chapter 6 do. So the first word picture is, it's a rotting corpse. It's nasty. And the second word picture is, every choice I make to sin, I make myself a slave to that sin. I literally enslave myself to it. Who, who knowingly chooses to make themselves a slave? Slavery is not a fun thing. Nobody wants to be a slave. Anybody wake up this morning, hey, uh, choosing slavery. That's not how we do it. 
So the first word picture, I'm dead to sin, it's gross. The second word picture, I don't want to be a slave to sin, it's stupid. That's just stupid if I choose to make myself a slave to something. People fall into slavery. They, they get taken into slavery. It's, it's, it's inhumane, but you don't just choose it. Is this making sense? So now when I see my sin this way, oh, I'm beginning to get a picture here. This is not something that I really want in my life. So I want to move forward from this. Now, Romans chapter 7 opens up with a third word picture. Now, you know when the Apostle Paul was writing the letter to the Romans, uh, he, there's no chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, and so forth. It's just all one letter. And so these three word pictures would have just, they just go together in succession. And we've been breaking them apart to understand them a little better. But the third word picture is at the beginning of Romans chapter 7. And the word picture is this. You are a widow. Sin used to be your husband. But sin's dead now. So you're widowed from sin. And the good news is, well, let me read it first. I don't want to take the punchline. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he, he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. I love that, that you might belong to I belong to Jesus. I love that. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see the analogy? Sin is... Now, you understand, every, every metaphor gets awkward at some point, and this one gets awkward too. It's, so you have to sort of forgive the awkwardness of the metaphor and get the heart of it. And the, and the heart of it is sin was your husband. You were married to sin. And sin was a wretched husband. I mean, trailer park trash. And, and the wife beater, the empty beer cans, the whole nine yards, just trash. And he didn't treat you well. He, did, he abused you. He didn't speak well to you. He, he dragged you down. He wasn't good for you. He brought ruin into your life. He was a wretch. And then sin died. When Jesus died, sin died. This is where the metaphor kind of breaks down. Because Jesus died, sin died, but Jesus wants to marry you, so follow that in your brain. So sin, when Jesus died, sin died. And now your old husband's sin is dead, which leaves you as a widow. And here's the good news. You have caught the eye of the king. Jesus has taken a shine into you. That's how we say it in West Virginia. Jesus took a shine into you. You caught his eye. He likes what he sees. And he invites you into a relationship with himself. And how many of you know Jesus is an, he's like, he's like a dream come true. He, he's the perfect husband. You got an amen on that one? Because Jesus is. Jesus is, G Jesus is your dream date. 
He really is. It's the best thing that ever happened to you and me. And so now this is my life. I'm in the palace. I'm beloved by the king. I share it with him. I won't ever want to go back to that again. I'm moving on. So there's your three word pictures. So in one, I'm dead to sin. In the second one, I'm not a slave to sin. In the third one, sin is dead to me. So here's a question. If sin is no longer an issue, because that's what it's saying, why is it still an issue? Can I get a witness? Is it an issue for anybody? Yeah. Do you find yourself still tripping up? I do. Why am I still struggling with this thing if it's dead? Why am I still struggling with it? Good question. He answers that in the rest of chapter 7. Now, I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of room because the language, the grammar, I'll say, in the rest of chapter 7 is a lot of run-on sentences, and it's not the easiest thing to take three points in a poem out of and wrap it up. So would you just give me a little bit of liberty? We're going to read the rest of chapter 7, and then I'll come back in and give three reasons why sin is still an issue, and then three solutions to it, okay? So that's where we're going to go. But let's just start by reading chapter 7, chapter seven verse 7, because I love God's Word. I love God's Word. Chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Now let me make it clear what the law is. When it says the law, it's not talking about running a red light or speeding, not those kinds of laws. We're talking about the moral laws that God has created this world with. God's moral laws are like a backbone. And whether you acknowledge them or not, you are bound to them. If Let's say I'm the only human being on the planet that doesn't know about the law of gravity. And so I just randomly step off buildings and I keep crashing on the ground. And you come to me one day after I broke my arm and fell again. You're like, Doug, do you, do you not know about the law of gravity? We've, we've all heard about this. I'm like, the law of what a revelation. Now I know why I keep falling off of buildings. <laughs> See, whether I know the law or not doesn't mean I'm not bound to it. And God's moral code is such that we are all bound to it, whether you acknowledge it or not. You can pretend it doesn't exist, but you will receive the consequences as a result. And so what we learned two weeks ago was that God gave us the law through Moses, and what that did was that showed us why we were falling off the building. The law, the law showed us why we were all dying and why we were getting hurt. He showed us where we were going wrong. So is the law a good thing? Yes. I want to know why I'm falling off buildings, don't you? I, I want to figure that one out. And the Bible, he takes the guesswork out of it. This is why you're dying, people, right here. And so that's what it says when it's referencing the law. The law is a good thing. He says, I would not have known, see, here's what he says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, because the law told me. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, look at those words, that wording is interesting, sin, seizing the opportunity, Afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, Put me to death. So, works kind of like this. The commandment says, uh, let's say, don't lie. Okay. So, here's the commandment, don't lie. Sin, now this commandment brings life to me because I know, oh, 
all these consequences, all these things that are I've happening in my life, they're a result of me breaking this command. Oh, see these broken relationships? Oh, that's, that must be because I'm lying. Oh, now I get it. But sin seizes the commandment, and, and it says what it does is, is, is it, it's, you know, the devil is a dirty player because he, he, he tempts you to do something, tells you how great it is, and then you do it, and then he shames you for doing it. It's just lousy the way he plays. And he says, so sin, seizing the opportunity, did you catch that too? You notice how sin is almost treated like it's a separate thing. It's not you. It's not me. Sin is, is almost its own thing because sin seizes the opportunity. I think that's interesting. It makes sense because the Bible says in Christ, you and I are a completely new creation. I have the mind of Christ. I actually have the nature of Christ. We're going to see that. He goes on. So I am a new man. So there's sin is this separate thing, outside almost, that has influence and pull in my life. That's, that's what it's... Okay. I should just keep going because then I'll stick to my notes. So verse 13. But this is such an interesting passage. It's, it really can tie your brain in knots. Verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? Well, by no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual. It's a good thing. But I'm the one who's unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Let me read that again. That's interesting. It is no longer... If I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. It's almost as though sin is treated as a separate thing that I'm wrestling with. See, one of the lies of the devil is to get you to think in Christ. I'm only talking if you are... If you've received Jesus as your Savior, so this doesn't apply to every single person on the planet, but if you've received Jesus as your Savior, you are a new creation, new man, new woman. You have the nature of Jesus. You're a completely new person, completely. The, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The word new creation literally means new species of being. You're a, complete, a new species of being that hasn't even existed before. We don't... It's a whole new species. And so, but what the devil wants you to think, see, is that somehow you're the one that's corrupted. But in Christ, you're not. Remember he justified you? Remember? That justification, that's not because you're a good person. Jesus did that. See, if Jesus did it for you, it can't be taken away. He did it. If it's all up to you, well, then it's going to be up and down and all around. But if it's up to him, which it is, then it's secure. So I'm not this. But the devil wants me to think that I am. Okay. Boy, okay, Father, help me. For I do not know, I do not do, verse 19, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I love God's law. But I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. 
What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. So, three reasons why sin is still an issue. I can just draw them out here. The first one is this. Sin actually uses God's commandments against me. God's commandments are good. But you know that thing in you that tell you not to do it and you're going to want to do it? That thing? That's sin. That, that tendency that says, I, I, I know that this is the right thing to do, this is the best thing to do, but well, I want to do this anyway. That's sin. And he says that sin has seized the commandment of God, and it actually uses it against you and me. So now that I know that, the next time I have that temptation that I don't want to do the thing that's right there that I'm told to do, now I know where that's coming from. That's part of the war that I'm in. And I need to come to the place, and I'll come to this in a second, I need to come to the place where I recognize that God's will is the best thing that could ever happen to me. And so I want that. So the first reason why sin is still an issue is because, God, because sin uses God's commandments against me. These, um, the second reason why sin is an issue is because I'm finally alive. Finally alive. I'm awakened to the struggle. I didn't have it before, but now I am. Why? Because I have a new nature, because I have the nature of Jesus at work in my heart now. And so now I see it. I didn't see it before, but I see it now. Do you see it? That's the good thing. See, see you were dying before, and then Jesus came along and saved you. And now you're awakened. You're finally alive. And that's the good news. And kind of the bad news with that is, well, now you see the problems. But the good news is you're not facing them alone. So the struggle is a good thing. You have these two natures at work within you. And he says that they're waging war against one another. That's verse 23. And some days, I don't know about you, some days I feel that battle. Ooh. Can I tell you that when you're not struggling, that's when you need to get worried. You and I are not meant to stay in neutral. You're not. You're, the comfort zone is not where God created you to be. You're, that's not your destiny. And I, I like to say sometimes the only reason why God steps into my comfort zone is in order to kick me out of it. You want the struggle. So can I encourage you to see it in a, from a different way? You know, normally we go, why am I so struggling? I must be such a bad person that I'm struggling so much. Are you kidding me? Uh-uh. You're struggling because you're right where God wants you to be. Keep your eyes on him. Don't succumb to the struggle. Fight it. But you're a fighter. That's part of your DNA. It's a war we're in, friends. It's a war. Don't ever forget that. It's a war, and, and the stakes are high, but the good news is this, you have victory in Jesus Christ. So why, am I, why is sin still an issue? Well, it's always been an issue. It's just now I see it. I didn't see it before, and that's a good thing, so keep fighting. And then the third is this, sin uses my body's natural desires actually against me. The reason why I still struggle with sin, the reason why sin's still an issue is because I have a body. And this body has desires. Desires that God made this body to have. You must understand they're not bad desires. They're not. The only thing is God designed these desires to fit and to be fulfilled in a certain way. And if we try to, and sin is always trying to get me to fulfill my desires in a way that they weren't designed to be fulfilled. Because it knows that the moment I do, 
I suffer for it. But if I fulfill these desires that my body has in the way that God has designed for them to be fulfilled, it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's fun. It's pleasurable. All good things. It's when I take them outside of how God designed them to be used, that's when they cause problems. And so sin is always trying to lure me out of the backyard to, to satisfy my desires in some other way. Because it knows. The moment it does, I'm dead. It's like this. I can illustrate it this way. We know the story in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Numbers of Balaam. And we love Balaam in Sunday school because Balaam has a talking donkey, and we all think that's cool. And, but sadly, we tend to just hang out with the talking donkey part, and we miss the greater message of Balaam. And there really is an incredible message in this story. And it's this. Let me just tell you the story. So Moses and the people of Israel, they're blessed by God. They're in a covenant relationship. God's got them out on their, I mean, it's just awesome. They're actually in the promised land. They're God's covenant blessed people. Or no, I should back up. Forgive me. They're not in the promised land yet. Forgive me. So they're God's covenant people, blessed. They happen to be camped near Moab. And the king of Moab is very nervous about the Israelites being so close because he's heard about how God is with them. He's heard about their success in battle, and he's nervous. And so the king of Moab hires a pagan soothsayer by the name of Balaam to put a curse on God's people. And this is where the story gets kind of funny because Four different times, Balaam tries to curse them, and instead he blesses them. Like, literally, he goes to say a curse, and a blessing comes out. It's like, oh, yeah, well, bless you, man. <laughs> He's blessing the Israelites. And then the fourth time, I love the fourth time, the fourth time, finally, they're getting frustrated, because each time he tries to curse them and blesses them instead. By the fourth time, I love this one. King of Moab takes Balaam over to a spot overlooking Israel's garbage dump. He's like, if you can't curse Israel, maybe you can at least curse their garbage. And you know what? He couldn't even curse their garbage. I love it. He blessed Israel's garbage. Go figure. It's, it's insane. So then Balaam goes to Moab, goes to the king of Moab, and he basically gives him this advice. You know... I cannot curse Israel because God's blessing is on them. However, they can bring a curse on themselves because Balaam understood that they were under covenant with God. And if you get this people to sin against God, they will incur a curse on themselves. So you know what Balaam did? He told the king of Moab, he said, why don't you do this? Get all your temple prostitutes, all the girls, send them in to the Israelite camp and seduced the men. And they did. And it worked. And as a result, a plague came upon the people of Israel, killed thousands of them. What happened? Balaam could not curse them. But if Balaam got them to sin, they would invite the curse on themselves. Friends, the devil can't touch you. However, you can invite him to touch you. Your choices. See, this is, this is the goal of sin. Sin's goal is here's your desires. Let me use your desires. If I get you to fulfill your desires outside of the way that God designed them, I get you to, to have sex with anybody other than your husband, your wife. God, God, God has very clear parameters for that, then I can bring all kinds of havoc on your families, on your society, on your world, your culture. Why? Well, it's, the devil doesn't have to curse us. We curse ourselves with our behavior. Follow? And so that's sin's goal. 
Sin's goal is to get you to take your desires, and frankly, as long as I live in this body, and it's going to have its desires, therefore, sin's going to be an issue. So that's the third reason why sin is still an issue, even though it's not an issue. So here are the three solutions. Here's how we can fix, here's how this can be fixed in our lives, okay? How can we resolve the issues? The first is this. I've got to recognize rebellion in my life. I've got to recognize that I have this thing that you tell me not to do it and I'm going to want to do it. I have to recognize that about myself because the next time it comes up, I need to be able to notice, I need to be able to identify it. Because a lot of times... I propose to you that we rebel against, uh, against God's good commandments without even knowing it. It's just, so, so the Lord is working on this in my life. I, I can't, there's times he shows me what a rebel I am. Uh, and it shows up, I find, in the simplest of things. So my old pickup truck, the, the, the seatbelt doesn't work. I have to manually buckle it, which was awesome when I first got the truck because I rode without my seatbelt. It's like, I don't need a seatbelt. And then the Holy Spirit started to convict me. You know that's a law, right? Yeah, okay. So now I'm buckling the seatbelt. But you know what he's working on me now? There's this stop sign in my neighborhood <laughs> that I never stop at. It's the dumbest stop sign, I think, dumbest stop sign in the history of stop signs. And you know what? Every time I go through it, and I still go through it on a daily basis, every time I go through it, the Holy Spirit says, you know, you know that's a law, right? And you see what I'm recognizing? That thing in me. That thing. You tell me not to do it, I'm going to want to do it. That thing is rebellion. And that bad boy has got to die. And the only way that it dies is... Doug Rouse stops at that stupid stop sign, and then eventually I'm going to stop, and I'm going to say, bless you, stop sign. You're a good stop sign. I know that's where it's going. You follow? And when I finally come to the spot where I go, bless you, stop sign, I'm so thankful that you're there, I know I'm winning that battle. But I have to recognize this rebellion that's at work, this thing that's eating me alive, and it's got to be put to death. So that's sin. Deal with it. Remember we've talked, we've been saying it before. We've got to get brutal with it. Stop playing around. This is war. Second thing is this. I got to ask God. I got to ask God to open my eyes to even more ways that sin has affected my life. Remember I can't see what I can't see? So is it possible that right now, this moment in my life, there are things I'm doing wrong that I just don't know about? Yes. Matter of fact, it's highly possible. And so I say, Holy Spirit, please reveal it to me because I don't want it there. I want it gone. I want it gone, Lord. This is serious business. Are you with me? Are you serious about it too? I am. So ask God to open my eyes even more, and I expect the struggle as I grow. I expect it. I welcome it because it's all part of the process. And then third, I've got to decide who's going to run my life. Are my feelings, are my desires going to run my life or is God going to run my life? Is the culture going to run my life or is God going to run my life? Is the world going to run my life or is God going to run my life? Who's going to run this show? Because God's the only one. I come back to this. I say this often. In my prayer time, God, your will is the best thing that could ever happen to me. I want your will. I do. I want your will. Your will is the best thing that could ever happen. Acknowledge God's will, the goodness of his will in your life. Acknowledge it. Thank him for it. And then Paul comes to this point. So, so this is one more important point to draw out of here in the last paragraph in verses 21 to 25. And that's this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. 
Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Um, that's actually, that actually ought to be a proper noun, and I'll explain it in a second. It's not body that's subject to death. It's who will rescue me from this body of death. It's a proper noun. You'll see in a second. Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, and in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. The key words there are I myself. Because uh, the text is this, by myself, apart from Christ, this, I'm a slave to these things. That's, the, that's what it's saying. Apart from Christ, by myself, I'm a slave to these things. But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in Jesus, it's a whole different ballgame. Tracking? And, and, here's the, and here's the thing. He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? I, I, got a, I, I brought a friend I, to illustrate this for us this morning so we understand fully what this body of death is and, and the hope that we have in overcoming it. And, uh, and that's this. So he's been dieting, and uh, I told him to stop, but it keeps going. So... In Rome, in ancient Rome, they were masters at punishment. You know, they created the crucifixion. That was their idea. They just sat around all day thinking, how do we, how do we torture people? This is, I don't know how they, like, how they did it. The body of death was one of the Roman punishments for murder. And the way that it would work is this. If I murdered Rob, I'm guilty of his murder. By the way, I'm not thinking about it at all, Rob. Just so you know, you're safe. I'm a bad shot anyway. It's okay. So, <laughs> so Rob, so I murder Rob. Um, what they would do is they would take Rob's corpse and strap it to my back. That was called the body of death. And I would have to carry his corpse around with me in public. Because they didn't put you in jail. You just... That was, the, that was the punishment. So I'm walking in public. I'm walking the streets. I'm at home. I've got this body of death strapped to my back 24-7. Can you imagine sleeping with it? Everything with it. And as this corpse decayed, it would decay into me and poison me and eventually kill me. It's the body of death. Paul says, who will rescue me from this body of death. Who? I can't get it off me. It's rotting. It's, it's killing me. It's eating me alive. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death, he says. And he goes, thanks be to Jesus Christ, my Lord. He can rescue me. He's the one that can take it off, right? He can do it. And he says, so, look at how he, look how he words it. So, I myself, by myself, that's the verse. Look at verse 25. I'm helping us understand this verse. By myself, I am a slave to this thing. But in Jesus, it can be taken away. And that's the good news for you and me, friends. That Jesus can set us free from this body of death. Now he's kneeling. That's right, take that. Look who's in charge now. Right? But you understand this is you? Come on now. I know it's funny, but look who's in charge now. And this is you. Why? Because you caught the eye of the king and he likes what he sees. You married Jesus, man. Your, your, your old husband's sin, he's dead. And, and those days are gone. They're behind you. And now you're moving forward. And you, and you got life in the palace and it's so good. And I share this with Jesus. And, and, and look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He ends his whole thing. Therefore, so there's, so there's Jesus sets me free. By myself, I'm a slave. 
But Jesus sets me free. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It works like this. Some days you win. Some days you lose. But there's never a day that you're condemned. Let that soak in, please. Some days you win, and other days you lose, but there's never a day in Christ that you are condemned, which means you have the freedom. You're free. It, it means that you've got the freedom to grow, the freedom to learn. It means that you've got the choice to make. You're not a victim of this thing. You're not a victim of it. You have to hear that. You are not a victim of sin any longer. Is sin still an issue at times? Sure it is, as we've talked. But you are not a victim of it. But I can tell you what has to happen is I have to start taking this thing seriously. I have to call it what it is. I have to see it for what it is, like Romans 6, right? It's dead, it's slave, all, all those things we've talked about. It's nasty. I have to see it for what it is so that together with Jesus, we can deal with it. Now, one more piece of advice, and that's this. Here's what I find in my life that... The harder I pursue Jesus, the less time and energy I have to pursue anything else. So really part of the key here, my friend, is it's not about what I'm not doing, it's about what I am doing. Part of the secret of overcoming that thing that keeps hanging you up part of the secret of walking in victory over those struggles is I've got to take the same energy that I had before with all that stuff and I've got to now shift that and begin to pursue Jesus with all of the energy that I have and the more I pursue Jesus the less energy I have to mess around with the other stuff because there's only so much time in a day and I only have so much energy doesn't that make sense but part of the problem is, the truth is, friends, here's the deal. A lot of us, um, a lot of us are trying to play both worlds. That does not work. So it doesn't. You're not going to be able to please people around you and live like the world and honor Jesus at the same time and enjoy the victory that comes with it. You're just not. The only way to enjoy victory is I confess that God's will is the best thing that could ever happen to me. Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm going after him now. I got a whole new direction. I'm going after him now. And I'm done playing around. There we go. So, Lord God, that's our prayer today, that you would, God, my prayer is that we, that you would teach us, Jesus, how to delight in you, because you are delightful, Jesus. You're fun. You're thrilling. You're, you're magnetic. You draw me in. You suck me in, Jesus. You're incredible. I've been there, Lord. I know what your presence is like. I love your presence, Jesus. It's amazing. You take my breath away sometimes. Thank you. Oh, God, I pray that for each one of us. You are better than anything this world could give to me. You're better than any TV show. You're better than any fancy car. You're better than any big paycheck. You're better than any party. Jesus, you are better than anything.
this world could offer. And so I want you. So one more word and then I'm going to open up our altar. James chapter 1 says that each man is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. In other words, all of the devils in the world couldn't tempt you if you didn't have a fallen nature that is attracted to it. You notice again how we have responsibility for this? By his own evil desire, dragged away and enticed. I have nobody else to blame. And I want to, I just, I'm saying that because I think some of us here, there are some of us here who have not yet given your heart to Jesus. And you're trying to be a, listen carefully, you're trying to be a good person. You are trying to be a good person. And that is just not working. You find it frustrating because it is. I want to invite you this morning to come to this altar and ask Jesus to save you. I want to invite you this morning to do what Romans chapter 4 talks about. You're going to put your faith in Jesus. You're not going to put your faith anymore in your good works. You're going to put it in Jesus, and you're going to ask him. You're going to rely on him to bring these changes in your life. And he promised that he would. So as we sing, I invite you to come and... Uh, and song, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. It's an important thing. The world and all of its trappings are dead to me. They're not useful. But Jesus offers me something so breathtakingly awesome we'll spend forever unpacking it and trying to figure it out and enjoy it it's that awesome and so I want to encourage us this morning the world behind me the cross before me I'm going after you Jesus would you stand with me and I'm going to open up our altar please come and pray if you'd like to and uh, if you want somebody to pray with you, we'll, our prayer team will be happy to do that. But you can just be here alone with the Lord also. That's fine, too. But um, worship team, lead us.